1: I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernil. We'll give you a little intro on Carol in a moment, but I want to tell you we've got a great guest coming up, Jane Daly, who is the author of a couple of books, one very powerful dealing with how she came uh, really to caregiving and what that did with her life. Her son diagnosed with cancer at age 29. She deals with that through his death publication in January 2015 by Hallway Publishing. Jane Daly joins us in a minute. Carol Zerniold is the executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. You also know her as the chairman of the board of the National Council on Aging and a graduate of Trinity University. We're delighted every week to talk with her about interesting Issues involving caregiving, families, caregivers, care recipients, and I want to direct folks uh, to the uh, column that you write every month for WellMed that runs in the newsletter. It's a wonderful piece.
2: Oh well, thank you. That's in our Signals newsletter. It's free, um, and it has lots of other good advice and articles of interest to families who are caring for an older person. So thank you very well, much. You and you can, great topics. You can write us at caregiver at WellMed dot net. And we can get you signed up for the cool. newsletter.
1: I think you want to read that. Uh, speaking of newsletters, uh, there is a new diagnosis that's come out uh, dealing with uh, this most recent election called uh, ESD post-election disorder.
2: Post-election stress disorder. Stress disorder. Yeah, you know, like the PTSD. S. Yes, like PTSD. But it's post-election, and this—we're not even making this. And this, up. Is real. Yeah, this is real. This is real. This was an article that appeared in Next Avenue by Michelle Kinder, um, and you know, it was quoting the American Psychological Association saying 57 percent of Americans are struggling with significant stress caused by the election because since January. Um, you, it doesn't take long to figure out our country's very polarized. Uh, there's a lot of unrest. There's activism. There's people protesting this and people protesting that. And everybody right. seems to be unhappy with something. You know, um, w- recently, I, I when I was in Chicago for the American Society on Aging, um, the politics, you know, the political situation was overwhelming. It was on every TV throughout the hotel, Every day there's something going on in the political world and everybody was just, you know, the whole time up in arms. We
1: have become hooked on Stephen Colbert.
2: Well, Stephen Colbert is, if you you don't, are, are not happy with the current administration, then Stephen Colbert is your man. He is definitely the man of the moment. In fact,
1: I love NCAA basketball. I was so upset when they kept bumping him all last week. Because of the final four, the final sixteen, the final eight—it's enough already. That's right. Bring back Stephen Colbert exactly. so that you can make you feel better. So that's what we're going to talk about:
2: is the three ways um, that you can handle your post-election stress disorder and feel better.
1: Any involve moving to Canada?
2: Well, no. I'm happy <laughs> to say you don't have to move anywhere. Oh, good. Um, so the three tips: the first one, and this is really good advice, is nurture relationships because I have spoken to many people who are having fights with their parents, their spouses, their friends. They can't talk politics anymore with certain people because it's actually straining their relationships. So basically what they're saying is there are people probably that you know that are like-minded. Whichever side of the aisle you're on doesn't matter, but that helps de-stress you. So the people that give you energy that you value in your life, regardless of their political affiliation. If you don't agree on politics, don't bring it up. Focus on everything else. But, you know, our social networks, that's probably the most important thing we have going for us, and you don't want to blow it on, you know, politics.
1: Passover Seder's coming. We'll have about 20-some people at our house. Sign at the door has to say... No political discussions, please. That's
2: right. And, you know, I have a good friend of mine, and we don't talk politics. And we're still very good friends, but we know we're not going to agree, so it never comes up. And we still want to be friends, so we nurture that. That's
1: number one, The second
2: one is pay attention to the the narrative. So that speaks to if you think we're going to hell in a handbasket, if you are afraid, if you believe the country is collapsing, that's going to cause you more stress. But if you stop and you think, you know what? this is what I can do in this situation and involve yourself on what's important to you in your community politically or not politically involved, you know, that's going to change. That changes your narrative. It's, you've got to focus on the positive, um, if you want to get through dark times.
1: Somebody commented that uh, after the health care bill went down in Congress, no matter where you were on that issue, they said, hey, look, democracy is working.
2: That's right. That's right. And it is. is. We're having and, and the activism is shows that democracy is working. So the last one is Zoom Out. And they were talking about the children's book Zoom by Estevan Benyai. And I apologize, Benyai, to him. I'm sure I just masqueraded his name. Friends call him Estevan. Okay. Great. <laughs> No, you don't know either. (laughs) Anyway, it shows, you know, you open the book and it shows a splotch of color. Well, then you turn the page and the splotch of color is the red on the comb of a rooster. And then you turn the page and the rooster is in a yard and the yard is in a town. So it's zoom. So we are, you know, we get overwhelmed by that one page where the color is in our face. We need to zoom out. What else is going on in the world? I like that. What else is going on in the community? It really isn't the only thing. The politics are not the only thing happening in the world. There, you know, there are some other good things going on out there. So, zoom out, take a look at what else is going on, uh, and don't get so tunnel visioned into the politics
1: of the situation. When I was a kid, the goal we were given was five thousand steps a day, and then as I got older, it was ten thousand steps a day. Did I read somewhere? That it's 20 now?
2: Well, you're going to have to blame the Scottish postal workers for this one. Um, Because, you know, the 10,000 steps a day came out of a study in London years ago where they compared the health of the bus driver with the guy, um, the conductor or the ticket taker on a train. Who
1: walked up and down the train. Who walked up
2: and down the train. And the guy sitting down in public transportation had terrible health, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, Blood control of blood sugar. And the guy walking up and down the train was just fine. Thank you very much. So they redid the study recently in Scotland to actually look at the number of steps involved. And what they found was that the health benefit is more in the 15,000 step range by looking at the postal workers, which is about seven miles a day. Um, and they're saying that it is possible for us to get two hours, it's two hours of walking at four miles an hour. So it's it's not a fast pace, but it's not a slow pace either. And so if you were to get up and do 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes in the evening, you know, 10, 15 minutes at lunch, and then 10 minutes of walking throughout your day, it is the sitting for the long periods of time that gets you standing and walking for any amount of time helps counteract that. To me, that does sound, I have to admit, I when I was trying to get just 10,000 steps right. a day for some work Exercise, you know, competition. Uh, I it takes a long time to walk ten thousand steps if you are in a sedentary job. Um, so you would have to put some effort into it. I I'm afraid I'm one of those that gets more exercise in a big clump. Um, but all right, there you have it. Ten is not enough.
1: Gina got a Fitbit, and right before she goes to sleep, she checks it. And if she's short, she leaps out of bed and starts walking in the bedroom. I said, what are you doing? I need another 1,000. I you gotta, need another 1,000 steps. Yeah, get around
2: and around and around and around. Yeah. You know, but we just have to change the way that we act throughout the day. You know, The standing desk, the get up once an hour for five minutes, walk around the office. You know, that, would make a, that makes a real difference it in does. your circulation. It does.
1: So we should go for that.
2: So we should go for that. It's like, let's all just stand up here at the radio station. How long does this cord stretch, by the way?
1: Not long enough. Well, when I did radio full time, morning drive, 5 to 10 a.m., I did it standing. Uh, and, and your voice sounds a lot better. Anyhow. I do
2: remember that. I was yeah. on one of your morning shows, you and there. you were standing. <laughs> with the no. guest who shall remain yes, nameless. Yes, yeah, don't even go there No, that, was, that guest. Was
1: a, one of the funnier shows I ever did. All right, we're all getting there. Nursing home in our future, or for a loved one, what are the questions we should ask? And by the way, if you've just joined us, this is Caregiver SOS on air, at 9.30 a.m. The Answer with Ron Aaron and Carol Zernil. What are the questions we should ask? Uh, when we look for a nursing home,
2: well, when you're looking for a nursing home, and I, I did get this off the Pioneer Network dot um, net, uh, they were talking about the questions you should ask should be related to um, person-centered care. So this is, in other words, you don't want a, a healthcare hospital environment type of facility for your loved one. And how you find out about that is ask them about culture change. That's a buzzword in the nursing home world. Culture change. Culture change is, you know, are you involved in that, which means are you trying to get out of this medical model? Um, how will you get to know my family member? You know, have them been, talk to you about that. Um, do, you know, will my loved one be awakened at the same time every day or do they have a choice? Uh, questions like, do they have to get up at a certain time? Do they have to eat at a certain time? Do they have to bathe at a certain time? The more flexibility, the more you get to choose when you get up, when you eat, when you take a bath, the more autonomy you have, the, the better it is. What about choice, food choices? Is there, do you get a variety of menus or is it take it or leave it dinner? Um, you know, is a good question.
1: In other words, is it like home used to be?
2: Is it like home? Uh, what do you do if your loved one has dementia? Uh, it's not, maybe it's not a dementia unit, but your loved one has some dementia. How are they going to address that? Is there anything special that's going to happen? What's the turnover rate of your direct care workers, Ooh. of your nurses, of your staff, Do you know that rate? Are you willing to share it? And I can tell you, um, all of the residential care facilities have a high turnover rate. But if someone doesn't want to tell you what that is or says they don't track it, you know, you need to head for the door um, because they should be able to tell you that. Um, How do they measure resident satisfaction? How do they measure family satisfaction? You know, when do they ask you? Um, And, you know, when you're there, you want to walk around this to the facility talk to family people members who are there from for other residents talk to the staff how do you like working here how long have you been working here what's the mission of this organization if they can't tell you what the mission is or some variation on that you know the culture of the organization is not really getting down to the front where the care is Uh, I was recently in Albuquerque with my great-aunt who's 96 for her 96th birthday. She's still feisty? Oh, still feisty. And um, still thinks there's too much noise in the dining room. Got to do something about that. (laughs) Um, And she was, you know, (laughs) talking about how important it is for the residents to have a voice, to be involved in their care. Um, you know this that never gets old, we may get old ninety six years old, uh, but feeling like you have an opinion and it 's important right. and you feel like this place is home uh, and it doesn 't matter how pretty it is because we agreed that facilities can be lovely, and that means nothing if the care isn 't good what about
1: Access should they let you in any time any day or night
2: well you sh- you should be able to have access. there may be um, you have to ring a buzzer and sign in at night you don 't want to have open doors all night long, but yes, um, and and the residents should be able to to stay up as late as they want as long as they 're not bothering you know other right. people and and I think you see a move towards more single rooms, all single rooms and facilities uh, now versus those shared industrial hospital looking rooms with a curtain in between. Oh. You know, which, ugly. Which are ugly and dreadful. So We're going
1: we're to talk in just a moment with Jane Daly, who is the uh, caregiving season specialist and an author of several books on caregiving. And we will talk with her in just a minute on 930 AM, The Answer. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010.
3: Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin
1: Eikoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio.
3: What a terrific ride it's been.
1: And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything.
3: We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on.
1: You name a disease, and we've covered it, but with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones.
3: Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio?
1: But well, we are so pleased you're sticking with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. As we suggested, we'll be talking right now with Jane Daly, uh, who is uh, dealing with and has dealt with a number of issues involved in caregiving. Uh, 2008, she got serious about writing and since then has written prolifically for a number of publications, including a couple of books. Uh, she has dealt with the tragedy of a son, Diagnosed with cancer and passing away, uh, he was much too young. As are any children whose parents have to say goodbye to them. And Jane Daly, thank you for coming on.
4: Thank you for having me, Ron and Carol.
1: Now, as you became a, a caregiver for your son, uh, you know, Knockwood. I've got young kids. I can't imagine uh, anything more emotionally traumatizing than watching your son, your son, waste away.
4: It, it is the worst it's it's worse than having an illness yourself because you're helpless you would gladly trade places with them and and would you know, ask God, please let me do that, and it's just not possible. So it it has been said that losing a child is the worst loss, and it'll be seven years tomorrow that he passed. And although it does get easier, it's it's still uh, very much of a grief that we carry the rest of our lives.
1: How did you deal with it? You mentioned, uh, obviously, we would all step into their place if we could, but we can't.
4: I... I journaled heavily during that time, watching him just get sicker and sicker, which helped me helped me deal with those emotions of what I call pre-grief, is, is grieving before the person's gone. It helped me really it connect with what the Lord was doing, and my focus was on Psalm 23, the valley of the shadow of death. I kept telling myself, I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, but there is a... Uh, there is an exit. God will lead me through, and I will I will survive this.
2: So what was your what was your son's name? Bobby and Bobby. and what what kind mm-hmm. of cancer did he have?
4: He had a very rare form of sarcoma typically sarcoma is in one of the long bones of the body and it can be treated sometimes as as radically as amputation but his was in his chest and so it was on his in his chest wall surrounding his lung and it was they couldn't um they did chemotherapy but because it was so close to some of his major organs they couldn't do radiation so the chemotherapy uh, extended his life but uh, for a year but it was he, there was a very small survival rate from this type of very aggressive cancer how did he deal with it you know that was the amazing thing, Ron is that my son grew up as a christian, uh, accepted the lord at a at a young age and recommitted his life to Christ when he was around sixteen years old. He had cancer when he was seventeen and then was clean until he was twenty nine He dealt with it so admirably that Um, I I was amazed because he said you know I I know that my life has counted for something and I know where I'm going so I'm actually okay with it he said it's not about the quantity it's about the quality of my life
2: so do you think that from his first um, you know occurrence of cancer uh, that he changed the way he lived I mean was that was that something that he he really made a difference
4: Well, Carol, unfortunately, when he was announced in remission the first time, he went totally off just often lived a very worldly life for about three years. And then um, he met a young woman, and he came back to the Lord and then was serving the Lord until the time that he passed. So um, it had a negative effect, but then he came back to his roots. So I think, you know, that, that verse that says that if you train up a child in the way that they'll go, when they are old, they will not depart from it. And I, I take great comfort in that and knowing that that was, that was true in his life.
2: Well, and and, and that's, It sounds like he, you know, he had a broader experience in life, even though he was around such a short time. You know, we um, we work with caregivers, but but a child that has cancer and cancer in any family is of such an intensive experience. Um, you know. So what what how did how you talked about journaling, but just in terms of getting through the mechanics um, and taking care of all of your son's needs uh, did you get support uh,
4: for that? Yes, I can't stress enough how wonderful it is to have a support system of friends and family and church that we had people who would come and clean our house. Who would, knowing when we were undergoing chemo, that they would drop meal off at the house, even if we weren't home, we would get it when we got home, and um, just to pray with us and offer us that that much needed spiritual support.
1: Do you have other children?
4: I we have a daughter, and I also have three wonderful grandchildren.
1: And how old was your daughter at the time this was going on with your son?
4: The she was, she's just two years older than him, so it would have been, she would have been 19 the right. first time, and then um, like 31 the second time.
1: And was she living with you at the time, or was she off?
4: No, she was married and having kids and living um, living up in Oregon.
1: So for her, uh, the the challenge was dealing with her brother's disease and loss and being at a distance that had to be tough on her
4: oh it was because they were just so close they were best friends as kids Mm. and stayed very close all through um adult life and so when bobby first got sick he made it a point to go out to see her a couple of times during that year that where he was um terminal, and she made a point to come out and see him as well. So they, they got to spend as much time as they could together.
1: Now, you've, you've moved on in terms of what your focus in writing is, and, and now are you not uh, looking at the challenges of honoring our aging parents?
4: Yes, moving into that role of caregiving for parents is quite a transition
1: well, it's quite a challenge. Stay with us just a minute. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM. The answer, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel. We're talking with Jane Daly, an author and lecturer who has uh, shared with us the journey her son took in, in uh, succumbing to cancer and her work as a caregiver and now focusing on caring for parents.
2: Well, and so so your first book, Greatest Lost, Greatest Gain, that's the book that you wrote about your son, Correct.
4: Um, the the book is titled Because of Grace. Because of um, grace. Greatest loss, greatest gain was an article that I wrote, but the book ah. is Because of Grace: a, money, a Mother's Journey from Grief to Hope.
2: And so, from from grief to hope, you know what did, you know. What was the what's the advice that you give early on?
4: Find a support group or people who understand what it's like to lose a child. There's this, I call it the membership to a club that you never wanted to be a member of. For sure. Only someone who's lost a child understands what that's like, no matter what age their child is. And we just, we know. I I recently have a very good friend who lost her um, 36-year-old son. And we've been able to talk about the feelings you know, just the the myriad of feelings that you go through after the loss and if you don't have anyone to talk to you will become extremely depressed and you will not want to get out of bed
1: and as you think about uh, the challenges faced with caring for our parents uh, they're very different and yet very similar
4: absolutely the the hardest part Ron is that you have now become your parent's parent, and you're making these decisions for your parent that you have normally made for your child, and you don't, you don't second-guess yourself most of the time when you're making decisions for your children, but there's constant second-guessing when you're making a decision for your parent, either because they've abdicated and they don't want to make a decision, or maybe they're unable to make a decision because of dementia, Alzheimer's, a stroke, any kind of incapacity. So it's, it's, a, it's a very different paradigm.
1: Are you faced with that now, caring for aging parents?
4: Right now, I'm, yes, caring for my mother. She is 93. My father passed away five weeks before our son died. Mm. And so now, um, while my mom doesn't need the hands-on, I-have-to-be-there-all-day care, She, um, we take her dinner every day. We make sure that her meds are you know, where they need to be. We make sure she gets to the doctor and do her errands and provide her that social outlet by spending time with her.
2: So it sounds like she's 93 and living on her own?
4: She is. She lives in a little tiny um, uh townhome and we live just right down the street from her so when i drive by her place in the morning i can see if her blinds are open and if her blinds are not open then i call her to make sure that she's
1: okay alive right, <laughs> right. yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah <Pause>. sleepy <laughs> yeah <laughs>
4: But oh, that's nice, reality. though. How <laughs> nice to be that close. It is. But the reality is, you know, she's 93, and she's saying, Lord God, please take me home. I want to go home. And so I drive by thinking, well, I wonder if today's the day.
2: Yeah. Uh, my son, I was, we were going for a walk, um, and I was talking to him about, you know, when you're this age. I said, of course, I won't be there to see that. And, he, and my my son's, you know, almost 20. He's like, what do you mean? I said, well, I would be 105. Yeah. And he goes, well, you might live to hundred and five. I said, oh, I don't want to live yeah, to a hundred and five. I don't, don't want to live
4: that long.
1: Well, how is she physically, your mom?
4: Well, she is legally blind and she is hard of hearing. So, um, other than that, uh, she is she's weak. As far as she gets, kind of dizzy, and she is uh, her she has constant pain in her back. So. I mean, aside from that, she's okay. She she bakes. She doesn't cook, but she loves to bake, so she does that. And most of the time, she uh, listens to books or does her baking or, um, you know, watches TV.
1: And remembers to turn the oven off.
4: Yes. Thank goodness <laughs> yes for that. Okay. she does. Yay. All right. Hang
1: with us just a minute. We'll come right back to you. We're talking with Jane Daly, who is uh, talking about caregiving first for her son and now providing assistance for her mom uh, she is the 2013 Inspire Christian Writers Annual Contest winner and decided in 2008 to get serious about writing. And that's a pretty good thing. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zernial, on Caregiver SOS on air on 930 a.m. The Answer. <music> You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air at 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Hey, tell a neighbor you hear us Sundays at 6 p.m. Podcasts of all of our shows are available as well. And if you want to send us an email, a suggestion for a show or a comment, just email radio at wellmed.net, radio at net, and we love to hear from you. I'm here with Carol Zurniel, and we're talking with Jane Daly on our Caregiver SOS on Air Hotline. Uh, she's out in, as she said, sunny California. What was it in 2008, Jane, that suddenly decided to uh, plunge you into writing seriously?
4: I had always said someday I'm going to write a book. I am an avid reader, and I knew that one day I was going to become a writer. In 2008, I had some health issues and I had to take some time off of work. And so here I was sitting at home doing nothing and I felt the Lord nudge me and say, um, now's the time. And I I remember saying, now? And he said, yes, now. So I started writing a novel that is as yet unpublished. um, And then somebody, um, a, an editor, encouraged me to write the book about uh, Bobby's death and how that affected me. And then right as I finished that, I had the idea to write this book about the other issue that I was facing, which was caring for my parents. So um, since then, I um, have written two novels as yet unpublished, and now I'm working on my, on my next book about aging with grace.
1: What's the theme in your novels?
4: My theme is redemption. That no one is beyond redemption, no matter how far we've fallen or how far away we think we are from the Lord. That we are never too far from redemption.
2: And for your for the aging your aging book, you know, it sounds like grace. You're using grace as your theme for your nonfiction writing.
4: Yes, grace-filled nonfiction.
2: Which is similar um, it's my, to the redemption my, and
4: grace, so it's all, it's all yeah. woven there's together. There's a theme here. Yeah. There is a theme, yes. yeah. But my, my, the one that I'm working on now is called 60 is Not the New 40, because um, there's no way that I am anywhere close to where I was in my 40s, nor do I want to be. And the reality is 60 is 60, and we as Christians need to deal with it.
2: Yes, yes. The denial of aging um, in this country. Uh, you know, I read once that probably, uh, especially Americans, are probably the only ones who think they're somehow going to get out of this world alive. Right. <laughs> right. And we spend so
1: much money on uh, anti-aging stuff.
2: Right. It's such a such a surprise that people are still dying. Can you imagine? Just yeah, dying, we, you know, of old we age. have. There's a hundred percent fatality rate here. That's right. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. And a lot of people don't know that
4: statistic. Now, were others right. in
1: your family writers?
4: No. Nobody else in my family is a writer.
1: And are you writing by hand on a computer, on a royal typewriter?
4: I write on a computer. I have a little tablet that I use that I carry around with me almost everywhere, as well as three-by-five cards in my purse in case some idea strikes me, then I can write it down and not forget it.
1: And you have those cards sitting on your nightstand when an idea hits you in the middle of the night?
4: No, I usually have a tablet of paper in the nightstand.
1: Ah, And that'll work, too. (laughs)
4: Well, that's probably better. I
2: had a friend who was trying to write down his thoughts in the middle of the night, and he kept a tape recorder, and every morning he would play his tape recorder with those (laughs) fabulous thoughts, and all he heard was, "Uh, uh, He he wasn't making any sense. Not quite awake (laughs) enough to talk.
4: Not sure how the handwriting looks. (laughs) Yeah, I think the handwriting might be better.
1: (laughs) As you look at the demographics, you mentioned 60 is not the new 40. But indeed, we are living longer. And in many ways, we are living better. So while 60 may not be the new 40, when I was a kid, 60 was really, really old, Jane.
4: You're right. It was to me, too. I mean, when I look at myself, I'm 61. And I think, well, wait a minute, that would be like my grandmother with the gray hair and the polyester pants and the sensible shoes. And that is not me. But by the same token, 60 is the new 60. It's not the new 40.
2: And and I think, you know, I would have to agree with that. Um, You know, just in terms of being realistic, it's, you know, the new 60 is different than the old 60, but it's still 60 because you look in the mirror and you're like, whoa, I must be 60 now. I'm certainly not 40 anymore.
4: Exactly. Uh, but
2: but what you do with those 60 years of life is what's different um, and the expectations. You know, none of us are going to be sitting in... They won't let you sit down in a rocking chair at 60 now, even no. if you want to.
4: No, some days I would like to, but it's I can't. I also work full-time, so there's that. What
1: do you do full-time?
4: I'm a bank manager. Really? Uh,
2: that explains the... I, I was looking at the bio before the show, and I saw finance money management... Caregiving and spiritual growth. I'm like, wow, you are so well rounded. <laughs> yeah,
4: it's a left brain, right brain kind of thing. Days I'm the practical side. The nights I'm the creative side.
2: Well, talk a little bit about the, you know, your work um, as a missionary uh, with your husband. I mean, is, does that creep into
4: your writing as well, or your your caregiving tips? It, not yet. It ha- the, has not crept into the writing. Um, it, that was a really difficult time um being a missionary i am such a city person i grew up in suburbia and going to a remote area where was where there's no sidewalks was and no mall was really difficult for me and thank goodness i was young and didn't know any better but i think probably would have a better a better handle on how to do that now that I'm a little older. And interestingly enough, my daughter and her husband are missionaries, and so it's kind of funny that they've followed in the steps of the family.
1: Now, when you say missionaries, what were you doing?
4: My husband um, was pastoring two small country churches in the way outskirts of Montana. And
2: Montana's not known for its gigantic... Cosmopolitan
4: cities, anyway. No, there was no co- there was no Costco. Um, the The population of the one town was about four hundred, and the other wasn't even a town. It was just a a chapel on the side of the road. Wow! And people, all the ranchers came from around. All yeah, all twenty oh. ranchers came from around and went to church. So it was quite a culture shock for me.
1: Well, there's a book in that you haven't written that one.
4: Not yet. I. There's only so many hours in the day, Ron, That's I do true. have to sleep. As you were
1: there in, uh, as you described it, really, really rural Montana, uh, without the comforts of uh, wherever you're living in, in California, uh, how did you adjust?
4: I don't think I ever did, and that was part of the problem. Um...
1: you all still married? <laughs>
4: Yes, thirty nine years. Oh,
3: that's good. <laughs> that's
4: right. Notice I'm not in rural Montana <laughs> well, no, anymore. They're not. No, we came back to civilization, and then my husband ended up helping start a couple of church here churches here in California, back where there's civilization and there's malls and there's grocery stores. But I mean, I I learned to can food, and I learned to. Um, uh freeze stuff and I learned to grind wheat and make my own bread. No. I mean Oh wow. yeah, it was I became quite the quite the mm. little rural um you know housewife but you're wearing um, little
1: just, gingham dresses.
4: Yeah, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't mean to put it down, but I know how to uncan food.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the easy part.
1: You were yeah, living in it, what were you living in? Did you have Electricity, running water.
4: Um, we had, we did have running water, unless there was a power outage, and because we were on a pump, and right. then we didn't have running water. We had electricity, unless we had a power outage, and then we had to cook and do everything with the wood stove. Um, I don't. It was. I mean, it wasn't that bad, but it was. It was a different, a dis- a different kind difference. of challenge. A different well, kind of have, challenge. Yeah, you have very, very harsh winters, and it could get the wind chill with the wind chill it could be ninety degrees below zero and you can't go out. And you know, I, I'm not used to that. I'm used to California where, you know, if it rains we, we run for cover. But we can still go out.
2: Right. Yeah, that 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 does sound totally different. Well um let's let's go let's let's leave rural Montana okay. uh, and, <laughs> and come back to talk a little bit about um, aging parents you know where you're going what you know what you're working on now and what you're looking for in the future
4: well i'm um i'm i'm learning to enjoy the time that i have left with my mom knowing that this caregiving season is going to pass so i'm in spite of it sometimes being inconvenient and um hard and difficult i'm enjoying the time with her um I'm. I'm looking forward to, uh, and she knows this if she listens. Um, I'm looking forward to the time where we, my husband and I, don't have to make decisions around whether how it's going to affect my mom. We'd like to be able to move out of the area, and we can't because we have mom to consider. Um, so, the and for those people who are dealing with caring for an aging parent, these are all normal things that we face is, you know, the guilt of wanting to do something else, but then knowing that if, if that only can happen if my mom dies. Um, So, right. Which is, which, you know,
2: well, and, and that's a, you know, that's a normal consideration um, to, you know, to, to have some, some plans and, and understand that that day is definitely going to come uh, as, you know, we've got somebody who's 93,
1: Mm-hmm, right. Where do you want to move to?
4: We'd like to move to Oregon. Ah, be near your, the, grand- daughter.
2: To the near the grandchildren.
4: Well, when they come back from the mission field, they will be moving back to Oregon, and that's where we want to go. They're, they don't know when they're coming back. They're, they're in the South Pacific right now, but they're looking at maybe um, another year or maybe two and then moving back, and they'll go back to, to Oregon. And, yeah, we would like to live near our grandchildren.
2: Well, so they picked the South Pacific. This does not sound quite as cold as rural Montana.
4: Not as cold, but still pretty harsh. No, and ma- probably no malls. Probably no, no malls. malls. No malls. Huh? There is no mall. No. <laughs> I think the town maybe maybe forty thousand people in in their, in the main city. They're in a country called Vanuatu, and um, it's near Fiji, so it's it's very tropical, hot, muggy, but and a lot of bugs.
1: And a lot of bugs. There you go. Wow, sounds like fun.
2: Yeah, they want to move to Oregon. They
4: want to move back to
2: Oregon too.
4: Yeah, they're ready. They they will be ready to go back to Oregon.
1: Now, this is not an indeterminate sentence. They can come back to Oregon at some time, right?
4: Yes, they made initially. They made a two year commitment, which will be up in January, and then um, they determine after that. If they oh. will be signing on for another year, another two years, I think it, it's kind of open. Then they, they make another commitment for a, a specific amount of time.
1: So is it part of a Mormon missionary?
4: No, they're um, Foursquare.
1: Oh, okay. I don't know what that is. Oh. Foursquare.
4: Oh, it's a, it's a denomination. Oh, okay.
2: Well, um, so if people want to find out about your books, get copies of your books, uh, learn more about what you're working on, where would they go?
4: Well, they're available on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble. Um, they can go to my website, which is janesdaily.com. But most Jane,
2: people, Jane, most, Jane S. Daly and Daily D-A-L-E-Y? No, just D-A-L-Y. 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 See, I know i are going to mess that up. Jane S. D-A-L-Y. If you Google your uh-huh. name,
1: the actress comes up as well.
2: I know, darn her. But
1: well, that's Okay. <laughs>
4: You she needs have, to go away. <laughs> you should have a last
2: name like Zerniel. Then you only get one baseball player. If You've if you oh, my nice. name.
4: <laughs> hey, nice. Jane.
1: He's dead. We've got to say goodbye to you now. Thank you so much. Janesdaily.com, and you can find out all about her. Thanks, Jane.
4: Thank you both. I appreciate your time.
1: And good luck with the new book.
4: Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank Jane you. Daly. We appreciate mm-hmm.
1: that. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. Take 10 next on 930 AM, The Answer. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010.
3: Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin
1: Eickhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio.
3: What a terrific ride it's been.
1: And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything.
3: We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on.
1: You name a disease, and we've covered it uh, with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones This is Sam
0: Donaldson. 50 years in the news business taught me that each day brings a new story. Retirement is just the beginning of a lifelong adventure if we keep learning, stay active, and give back. All secrets to healthy aging. That's what Oasis is about. Explore our history. Take a fitness class. Tutor a child. It's your time to try something new at Oasis. Call 210-236-5954 or oasisnet.org forward slash San Antonio.
1: Well, we've come to Take 10, which is the conclusion to each one of our Caregiver SOS on-air programs. Really part of the best part of the show. We deal with issues that Carol Zernial, our co-host, and Dr. Jamie Heisman, a nationally known psychotherapist who deals with caregiving and addictions, they toss out a topic and bat it back and forth. And today's topic come up, uh, in fact, Dr. Jamie came up with it, right? Dr. Jamie?
5: Well, I, I did. This I is did. your topic. I mean, it's my topic. This and is where you throw it out. It's my pet peeve as well. Uh, who's watching our moms and dads? Um, uh, it's about direct care workers and, and those who we actually employ as caregivers when we're working or when we need somebody uh, additional to to the family to take care of our loved ones. Um, who are they? who's watching them? What's happening? Who's employing them? Are they burned out? How many people are they see, and what are they getting paid? How's that?
2: Well, I think it's a great topic because just this week, I was having a discussion with the family. They were choosing between, um, private, you know, pay caregivers that you know hiring people uh, to come into the home, and they mentioned that the woman that they liked the best told them that she had to work seven days a week, and yeah. and she was working probably tw- wanted to work twelve hours a day, seven days a week well, you if she could.
1: Can't do that for long. But
2: that's what she said she wanted to wow. do.
1: Not only
5: is she working uh, seven days a week, but potential um, potentially she's actually working with two different families. Or oh, different more
2: families. than that, probably three or four different families.
5: So put yourself in her place for just a moment. Number one, A, it's not your family member. It's one of three or four you're taking care of. B, you have a family at home and you're probably not on salary. You're getting paid hourly. So chances are you don't have health care benefits or benefits. Whatsoever, really, that's uh, supporting you in this endeavor, and and see you're 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 burned out. You're just overwhelmed, and somebody is actually entrusting you with the person that possibly matters most in their lives or their family's lives. So, what's wrong with this picture? Though?
2: Well, I I I don't think it's that unusual that many of the workers, and that's whether we've hired them personally or they work at an agency. These are people who really do work very long hours um, and are probably making, even if you think you're paying them uh, $15 an hour, if they work for an agency, they're probably making less than that. Uh, and they, because so the agency
1: making, takes its cut. Because the
2: agency is going to take a cut, so it they're making a little bit above minimum wage.
5: Doesn't that mirror, uh, you know, to our listeners, and I know I sound like I'm going overboard, but doesn't that mirror the oldest profession in our country? or in the world, which is prostitution.
2: Wow, now see, did you hear? Did you, feel my, they, did you feel my eyebrows go up I thought over they there? make more money than that.
4: <laughs> yeah, well, they do,
5: uh, but look at it this way. So you have a company that employs somebody to go out and work for them. They certainly will take the, the yeoman's share of the money. Um, they basically send the person out to a house, and they pay them, as you mentioned, maybe half or a little bit more and And the whole process is is seemingly fraught with problems here, because you have a burned out person who has to come home to issues who's not being given you know stress management courses and and basically the turnover rate is like fifty to sixty percent in that business. It is so huge.
2: Right. And these are the, I, part of the reason of that the profession is so poorly paid is unfortunately, caregiving is women's work. A lot of these are women um, that have come back to the workforce or this is their second job. uh, And it's not highly valued, even though they form, you know, really the backbone, along with the family caregiver, these paid caregivers definitely are the backbone of the long-term services and support system in this country.
1: You know, at both ends of the spectrum. Kindergarten teachers and then caregivers for seniors, both are undervalued and underpaid.
5: Absolutely, Ron. And, and, you know, we do have new models of delivery that are coming out now that we should hearken to and get close to and, and, and understand. Um, obviously, most of us have heard of care.com. I have no stocks in the company, believe me. But I must tell you that what they have done, if nothing else, is they they've tried to eliminate the middle person. And in doing that, if a person needs help, they'll put a zip code in and there'll be 30 different caregivers who we hope are entrepreneurial who are charging much more, who absolutely are hopefully taking care of themselves.
1: And yeah, my um, wife has talked about Care.com to find babysitters for our kids. We haven't used it yet, but she's mentioned it.
5: Yes, and it's a, it's a system, and it has its own challenges, no doubt, but I have to say that at least it connects the caregiver directly to the person who needs that person rather than have this sort of middle person in, in the way. And and being able to take their cut out of the process.
2: Yeah, and I'm looking at the website right now, and they, I have a choice of childcare, pet care, or senior care in terms of caregiving. So the pet care was the surprise on that one. Well, um, I you know that's
1: a huge issue.
2: Oh, sh- absolutely. Especially with people You're working
1: not- more hours, you need dog walkers.
2: Yes, or pet pet sitters if you want right. to go out of town for the weekend. Well, I have to mention someone on the board of directors with me at the National Council on the Aging. And um, ai Jin is, uh, is an American. Who, uh, she has a, she's a Vietnamese, I believe, background, but she was born in the United States. And she recently won a MacArthur Award. And if you don't know what a MacArthur Award is, it's a huge financial award. It's a MacArthur Genius Award uh, that they call you and they say, you have won this award. We've been watching you. She is the director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance. Which is working to improve the conditions of direct caregivers um, she is one of the the leaders in helping uh, direct caregivers form their own agencies um, they own the business they pay the, you know they get dividends from the business uh so that their owners as well as workers uh helping to raise both the conditions and the pay uh, I know this, it sounds like we 're on a rare political statement, but you know she's young she <laughs> you know, she's probably, I don't, I don't even want to guess that. She's young. I'm not going to guess her age. She's young. Um, and she's working very, very diligently uh, to address the issues you brought up, Jamie.
5: Don't you believe there should be minimum standards for uh, actually this population, this this group? Because at the end of the day, who is regulating who here? I mean, who's talking about conditions? When there was child labor laws, we were up in arms. I'm not sure anybody's talking about this situation as loud as they can. The person that you're describing is the future. And I believe that also things like care.com or having, a let's say, an eBay that connects the, the buyer and, and the, the seller, for instance, that takes this sort of exploitive factor out is the way to go. But we're not hearing enough of it. We don't have enough oversight. We don't have those standards of care.
1: Well, who would set the standard? You're talking about... There will be several issues here. One is the Cesar Chavez question about uh, protecting the workers, giving them a a sufficient wage and benefits and rights. Uh, And and then you're talking about are they qualified to deliver the kind of care you'd expect for your care recipient?
5: Yes. Realistically, I don't think you're ever going to change this middle group, but I do think they need to be heavily uh, overseen and make sure that there's minimum standards and they're providing everybody a good wage good benefits and, and able to do what they need to do. To me, that that would be it. The second thing is obviously we're looking also at things like certification um, and actually overseeing people who have a certification. But in that certification process, you know, you have an ethical standard, A, to take care of yourself and to make sure you're balancing your life. But These are issues that are up the line as we grow older and that we have the tsunami of senior care that we've got to be mindful of.
2: Well, and you're absolutely right. I I remember hearing uh, someone else uh, speaking about worker training, direct care worker training in the hours, uh, and she was from Arizona, and she was talking about that the person that does your fingernails has much more training, have many more training hours than the person that cares for your mother or your dad because they don't require that much training. Yeah, we
1: license barbers and manicurists.
2: Well, and, and at one time when I was working for the Area Agency on Aging, I asked the Home Health Agency, because they were they were short, you know, some workers, we needed some more workers. And she said, well, what we do is we just go out and we put a, a sign up on, in the laundromat, workers needed, and you find them at the laundromat on Sunday, and they're working in somebody's home on Monday.
5: Yeah.
2: Which exactly is crazy.
1: You know, and if you knew most,
2: that, you would not want that worker in your you home. You would
1: never hire them. No. no, and it's the most precious
5: people in our lives that we want to provide dignity to, to integrity, and as they are older and at their home, do we really know unless we set cameras up everywhere we are at and have, uh, you know, recorders what's going on?
2: That's right. It's, it's a it's a huge issue, and that's why I think as we're here wind up this segment, you know, you really need to do the back criminal background checks, the background checks. Um, you know, interview the various workers that you want to have in the home. Find out about them. You know, it's, it's up to you to do the screening because the system is not really a system.
1: You as the family member employing the yeah, You uh, as the family member employing caretaker. either the agency yeah. or
2: the individual. Wow. Got to stop you, you
1: right there, Jamie. We're flat out of time. You bet. We could have a whole show on this. Oh, at, at least one show. That was a really good topic. Thank you very much. Take 10. Ends our Caregiver SOS program every week. You hear us Sundays at 6 p.m. on 930 a.m. The Answer. For Carol Zerniel and Dr. Jimmy Heisman, I'm Ron Aaron. We will talk with you soon.
0: You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer.